Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Welcome to our podcast series addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. Last year, we saw the OCC issue its new 2020 CRA rule, which made dramatic changes to the Community Reinvestment Act and had some bankers scrambling to unpack the provisions. However, the acting controller announced earlier this summer that the OCC was suspending most of the 2020 CRA rule and considering rescinding the rule in working with the FDIC and the Fed to develop a new CRA joint rule. At the same time, the Fed issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking last November. For years, the regulators have been talking about modernizing CRA, and with changes in the political environment, where are we headed in your opinion, Len? Well, Dean, there's no doubt in my mind that the Fed, the FDIC, and the OCC will issue a joint notice of proposed rulemaking sometime later this year, possibly in the fall. As you pointed out, the regulators for years have been proclaiming that CRA needs to be modernized to reflect the changes in the banking industry since the regulation was first issued in 1977 and since the last major revision occurred back in 1994. Not only are the regulators saying that there's a need to update CRA, the politicians in Washington are absolutely screaming there's a need to reform CRA. Maxine Waters, who chairs the financial House Financial Services Committee, is leading the charge. Last year, during the committee hearing on the OCC's proposed rule, Congresswoman Waters scowled about CRA grade inflation and demanded tougher CRA regulations. She is joined by many Democrats who think that the low CRA exam failure rate, which ranges between 2 and 3% in any given year, doesn't in- indicate banks really are meeting the need for credit services in their communities. Rather, the relatively low failure rate in their eyes is proof that the regulators are too easy on the banks. The Democratic Party now controls Congress and the White House, and they are demanding a tougher regulation and more aggressive enforcement of the, that same regulation. So the outlook is this. CRA will certainly be changed in the next year. The new CRA will be more demanding than ever, and the regulars will be more aggressive about enforcing the current CRA and the new CRA when it comes about. The regulators, like the Supreme Court, read the election returns, too. Wow, that's pretty scary, Len. If you had a crystal ball, what do you see will be the key changes in that new CRA when it's eventually passed? Well, I think the OCC's 2020 CRA rule and the Fed's CRA ANPR are in some way a preview of coming attractions. In this brief broadcast, I'll limit myself to the following three big changes in the regulation, although there will be many other significant changes we can cover in another podcast. First, everyone's been talking about the need to reform the assessment area rules for years. The advent of the internet and remote deposit capture technology, the development of the secondary loan markets, etc., have led bank regulators to believe the assessment area rules need to be changed and updated. 
the OCC in its 2020 CRA rule promulgated, quote, deposit-based assessment areas to complement the current facilities-based assessment areas. And the Fed in its AMPR also introduced the, that concept. Ironically, I believe the internet has had little impact on where most community banks capture their deposits. Earlier this year, we did a study participated in by a few dozen community banks around the country in which we geocoded all their deposits and analyzed how the deposits were geographically dispersed relative to the bank's locations. We found that about 85 to 90% of the depositors were located within 10 miles of most bank branches. Apparently, most community bankers and most depositors prefer the old bricks and mortar based services, even though many people take advantage of the internet through online management of their deposit accounts. So aside from the internet, banks themselves, I think, uh, aside from the internet banks themselves, I should say, I think the impact of the internet and new technologies has had minimal influence on the capture of deposits by local banks. Nonetheless, if the concept of deposit-based assessment areas passes, it will require banks to geocode their deposit base to demonstrate they are not collecting concentrations of deposit from outside their assessment areas. So that will be a new data gathering burden even of most community banks, even though they won't be forced into designating deposit-based assessment areas. A second reform that's sure to happen will be the adoption of more specific quantitative performance benchmarks. The OCC and the Fed have introduced the concept of, quote, comparators, which will be demographic and loan market performance standards derived from the application of a factor, in this case, 65% for demographic parameters and 70% for loan market parameters against the specific uh, parameter in question. An example of a demographic uh, comparator would be the distribution of families by income class within an assessment area. If low and moderate income families constitute 40% of the assessment area population, then applying a 65% factor would result in a demographic benchmark of 26%. Similarly, if all reporting banks in the assessment area had an average of 30% of their HMDA reported mortgages in the assessment area, low and moderate income tracks, then the comparator would be 21%. So the introduction of this concept is a mixed blessing. For years, everyone has wanted clear, objective, and measurable standards. For decades, we have known what the parameters are, but the regulars have never published specific quantitative standards. So if 40% of the families in the assessment area are LMI families, what is the minimum volume of mortgage activity a bank must extend to attain at least a satisfactory rating on the so-called borrower characteristics test. No one's really ever seen a clear answer to that. And the comparators are that clear answer to the vague standard that has been in effect up until now. But this is a two-edged sword. It was made clear by the OCC in its 2020 CRA rule that the comparator was a bright line against which a bank cannot fall short if it wants at least a satisfactory performance rating on the test. The subjective judgment will be gone. So be careful what you wish for. Although I think that it's a good thing to have clear and explicit standards, there will be no excuse for a bank falling short because if you manage your performance, you can always purchase loans if you are short of the comparator-based standard, but you will not be allowed to fall an iota short of the performance standard without failing that particular test. So indeed, it is a mixed blessing. The third 
uh, area of reform that I want to just touch upon is that regulators have made clear that they are also considering changing how lending activity is measured. Rather than continue to use annual loans originated or purchased, the OCC and the Fed have indicated they will use loan balances as the measure of banks responding to the need for credit services. This will require banks to report far more loans than they do now. Moreover, to compute the adequacy of bank lending within its assessment areas, the regulators are likely to establish a standard based on the relationship of qualified CRA loans to deposits outstanding. This, again, is a mixed bag. The inclusion of loans outstanding would seem to represent a more accurate long-term picture of bank lending in the community rather than the short-term picture presented by lending activity limited to a given year. But this will require far more bookkeeping by the banks. They will need to track loans over years, of course, and capture deposit data at the same time, which they're not currently required to do. So this indeed is another mixed blessing. Wow, that's a mouthful and my head is spinning. Are there other important CRA considerations that you think the regulators have not indicated that they will address? Now that, I'm glad you did ask that question, Dan, because there's one very big and growing problem that I don't think was addressed in the OCC 2020 CRA rule, and I didn't see expressed in the Fed's ANPR. What I'm talking about is the growing trend of community banks to engage in lending funded by secondary loan market operations. I am seeing an increasing number of community banks dramatically expand their lending activities way beyond the traditional facility-based assessment areas. And this has had a very negative impact on the first test administered in a CRA exam, a test designed to measure the adequacy of a bank's lending in its community. The regulation demands a minimum of 50% of loans, and that's calculated both in terms of the number of loans and their dollar value, that they, that be extended within the defined communities. This was based on the now outdated notion that bank lending was limited by its deposit base. Therefore, loans outside the community reduce a bank's ability to satisfy the credit needs within the community. But the advent of, and the development of the secondary loan markets means that bank lending is no longer significantly limited by its deposit base. I expressed this concern to regulators in my comments to the AMPR, and I'm hoping they will recognize this problem because it is a very big problem, and uh, it is the very first test administered in the CRA exam. And right now, if you fail that test, it's almost certainly a prescription for failing the entire exam. So this is no small issue. It's a very big issue. Oh, I agree. And regardless of... Uh... Uh, new or proposed rulemaking, the Loan Production Office uh, issue has been around and still is around and remains uh, a, a valid issue today. Well, you've said a lot and, and barely touched the surface of the probable changes in Community Reinvestment Act. I think many of our listeners would like us to continue this discussion in our next session. Uh, so uh, I appreciate it, Len, for sharing the insights. Uh, hopefully you can bring some more back to us uh, 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 next discussion that we have, um, but this has been great stuff. I'm Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting. And this is Len Suzio from GeoDataVision saying, thank you for listening to today's topic and to please let us know of any additional topics you would like to hear in future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, Please give us a like and review to help others find the show.
As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.